Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Focal Point. Today, we are kindly joined by the CEO of Intermediate Capital Group, Benoit Dutes. For those who may not know, Benoit has been at ICG since 2002. Before he worked at Swiss Re, he also worked at BNP Paribas and G Capital. He has been this chief executive and investment officer since 2017. Benoit, how are you? Oh, very good. Thanks. Uh, hi, Fardine. To start off, could you tell us what your role consists of on a daily basis? Sure. Well, Practically, it's a lot of meetings, quite a lot of traveling, pre-COVID that is, a lot of listening, and of course, in my role, a lot of decision-making. As you pointed out, I have a dual role as Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer. And so as such, I chair the investment committees, and that's really the core of the engine for us. This we're an investment firm. I spend quite a lot of time communicating with our clients. So these are pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, and so forth, communicating with the, the management of portfolio companies. And then as in more in the CEO role, it's providing strategic direction and leading the development and execution of that strategy. It's communicating with the shareholders. It's interacting with our board. We're listed on the London Stock Exchange. So we have non-executive directors. So it's all of that. And maybe above all else, all else, because we're fundamentally a people business, it's thinking about people all the time. Team composition, succession, promotion of talent, hiring of new talent. All of this is critical, particularly as we're fast growing. And that's obviously the main fuel for the engine. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned the dual responsibility. How do you balance responsibilities as both the CEO and the CIO? Do the roles complement each other or are they separate responsibilities? Yeah, that's a good question, Fardin. For one thing, it's long hours. I mean, more than complementing each other, two roles are really uh, intertwined and symbiotic. In our industry and in this firm, I don't think you can have one without the other. Just to give you an example, promoting the right culture in the firm, that's a big part of the role of the CEO. And what I have found over the years is that one of the main levers for that is through the investment committees, which I chair as a CIO, because the decisions and the approaches that are taken at investment committees send very strong messages. They're a very powerful and tangible way of showing what we will do, what we will accept and not accept and won't do and how we like to do things. And this is better than you know any big speech on, on culture. So as you can see, that CIO role immediately has a significant implication on something that's really as typically assigned to a CEO mission. The other point is to your question about you know how do you manage all aspects of your role. A key part is you can't do it alone. And so I think a big element of success for any leader is to be able to bring strong people around you. I have notably brought in Vijay Baradia, came in from Black Stone to run finance and generally operations, as well as Anshay Hensel-Roth, who came from Russell Reynolds as, as head of HR, uh, and both have joined me as executive directors. On the investment side, in addition to that, I've created a chief investment office that's focused on quality control, on anything that's due diligence, portfolio management, as well as anything that touches on value creation. And that's led by a woman that I've worked with now for 17 years, acts as a huge, you know, very important relay for me on, on the investments. So it's all of that uh, that enables me to, to function both as CEO and CIO. Definitely very, very insightful. A bit more about ICG. Could you give perhaps an explanation of how large the scale of operations are and how has 
fastest ICG grown since 2002. I think you mentioned that the firm is fast growing. Sure. Well, it's a very, very different firm. When I joined in 2002, this was a relatively small firm and we had about 50 of us or so at the time. We're over 450, coming on close to 500 pretty quickly. It was about 10 times as many people as in 2002. And it's changed quite a bit over the years because we've morphed from what was essentially purely an investment company. We were just investing our own balance sheet then to becoming an asset manager with now over 45 billion euros of assets under management and truly international. At the time, we were essentially just European. And by that, it meant mostly UK and France. We had just in 2002 opened up an office. Now where we have 14 offices across the world. So 21 different strategies. So it's a much bigger and very different firm. What has kept you at ICG for the last 18 years? Well, it's been a lot of fun. I think it's the main reason. When you're fortunate enough to be part of a real success story, it's very gratifying. As we've discussed, I mean, this is, has been and is a high growth business. There's always something new. There's a great culture here and there's an excellent 30-year track record of investment, which is obviously key for us. There's also a strong sense of purpose. We're investing on behalf of sovereign wealth funds and pension funds. So to a large extent, ultimately for retirees, brings everything into context when you're making um, investment decisions. So yeah, I think these are the main reasons. So perhaps a bit more about yourself. I think at the beginning, I gave an overview of your career. Perhaps in your own words, could you tell us the story of your career? Well, I graduated in 91. So for most of you, that's uh, that's a really long time ago. I graduated with two degrees, one in finance and one in marketing. And at the time, I thought marketing was a lot more exciting. I found finance a bit dry. And the one thing I really did want to do was to join a bank. And so, of course, I did. I met someone who was running a recently set up buyout team. And I like the idea of joining something new. It's easier to make your mark, and which actually is a bit of a theme in my career. I mean, you'd struggle to find a master plan in my career. There wasn't one, but there were common themes. One is I've never really joined for a position. I've joined people, someone that inspired me. And also I've had a predilection for newer teams or newer industries. For that reason, I moved later within the bank that I was being retired off to telecom finance because that was at the time when telecom and intranet was you know really taking off. So I thought it was an interesting space to uh, to get involved in. That led me to move into private equity in telecom and media with G Capital here in London. And it doesn't appear in the CD that you have, obviously. But then I took an opportunity to take the position of CFO in a startup company that G Capital had invested in, which was a telecom company. It was a CLEC, competitive local exchange carrier. So this was in the heydays of the telecom wave. So it was a blast. I was, what, 31 maybe at the time? I was CFO of a startup. It was based in the south of France, but it doesn't get any better. So that was really exciting. It became more difficult when the, the whole telecom and tech bubble burst. So that was a sobering experience, but certainly learned a whole lot. And in the end, we managed to salvage the business and sell it to an Italian uh, firm. Of that. So that was great experience. I did a bit of a detour via Swiss Re, but then I, again, another meeting of an individual I met with one of the founders of ICG, actually someone I had known from earlier on in my career. And clearly he wanted to accelerate the growth of the business at the time in France. And I thought ICG had a really interesting 
niche position in, in the buyout world, a very flexible approach to financing. So I thought that was interesting in that there was something that could be done with that, which obviously has turned out to be the right call and I've been there since. What would you say has been the highlight of your career? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. You know what? I've had many highlights. It'd be easy for me to say, well, you know, becoming CEO of what is now a FTSE 100 company. And yes, you know, it was obviously, it was extremely gratifying. But at the same time, I could also mention a whole host of deals that we enjoy investing in and closing and sitting on the board of. I mentioned the, you know, the startup company that I was a part of in the early 2000s. That was an absolutely great experience. So and I think there are many, as there should be. Yeah, that's absolutely great. So moving on to the topic of the UK economy, regarding investment in the UK, you said in a Financial Times article, you might have done more work not for Brexit. So what do you make of the economic outlook for Britain, not just after Brexit, also after COVID? I mean, it's hard to say, but that's precisely the issue for us. We're very long-term investors. And so what's difficult for us is when there is lack of visibility. And the difficulty for Brexit, which is why we distinguish Bre Brexit from COVID. COVID, you can take a view how long it will last, what sort of impact it will have on the economy, which parts of the economy are likely to be more or less impacted. You could form a view. On Brexit, the difficulty is it's essentially political. It's extremely difficult to form a view as to the outcome. And it could be quite binary. It could be a no deal or it could be a very good deal. As a result, that makes it very difficult to make long-term investment calls, which doesn't mean you can't invest. I mean, we have invested meaningfully in the UK since Brexit, but we have focused on companies and industries that would not be impacted by a no deal Brexit scenario. So some segments of education, for instance, or some segments of healthcare. But yes, I mean, there is no doubt that without the Damocles sword of, of the, that Brexit uncertainty, we would have invested even more in the UK these past few years. And how exactly do you tailor your strategy in the face of uncertainty? Well, structurally, because our funds are long-term funds, I mean, most of our funds are 10 years, sometimes longer. We have to assume that during the life of any fund, there will be some sort of crisis, maybe some. Therefore, when we're thinking about investment and portfolio composition, we have to take that into account. So it's a question of diversification. It's a question of also structuring transactions to protect downside while getting access to upside. So it's all of that brought together that enables you to withstand various crisis situations. And as, as we're experiencing now, all crises are different. So, you know, in the case we were just discussing Brexit, well, in this case, we've invested less. We, we've still found pockets of investment that are appealing and where we think we can largely mitigate that Brexit risk, but we've invested less. But because we are ge geographically uh, diversified, that wasn't much of an issue. We've just invested more in Germany and France for our European strategy or more in Asia, more in the US. You know, there, there are always ways of adjusting for a given period of time. There will come a point where Brexit will no longer be an uncertainty and where we will be able to invest certainly in a more informed way in the UK. Speaking more about COVID, was there anything that surprised you during the pandemic? The one thing that struck me was how quickly people and companies adapted and adjusted. The technology was brilliant. In our case, it was literally overnight. We switched on remote working and it worked flawlessly. You know, that's one thing that struck me. And it's not just true for us, but it was true throughout portfolio companies pretty much throughout the world. I mean, there were areas where access to fiber or sufficient bandwidth was difficult. Some areas in the world, it was more difficult. But by and large, I have to say that 
the switch to remote working and relying on technology was quite seamless. The other thing that really struck me is the level of commitment and dedication of people. For a number of them, you know, the, the situation was difficult, their personal circumstances were difficult, and they kept on going and they kept protecting the businesses they were working for. In some instances, we have a number of companies in our portfolio that are at the forefront of the crisis. Healthcare typically, testing labs, nursing homes. So, you know, people who are physically putting themselves at risk and the level of dedication that I've witnessed was just inspiring. Finally, could you just briefly give a breakdown of what does a best and worst case COVID-19 recession look like for your firm? The current makeup of the crisis is actually relatively favorable for us as a firm. It's a difficult thing to say because obviously the health crisis is impacting a lot of people and a lot of industries. But one, because we are not exposed or we have negligible exposure to those industries that have been most impacted by the crisis, we, we don't do oil and gas, for instance. We're not in airlines or uh, the automotive sector. So our portfolios have you know, weathered this crisis extremely well. And the, the second aspect is that it's actually creating significant opportunity because what, what this crisis has done, it's accelerating underlying structural trends. And we're seeing it. Some, some economists are talking about a K-shaped recovery, which is another way of saying that the outcomes are bifurcating for industries and companies. You know, there are clear winners and, and, and clear losers. But what that means as a result is it's creating a host of opportunities for us through our various funds and strategies, either to support companies that are coming out of this very strong, maybe even stronger, but also to help companies that need to either fix their balance sheet or they need support because they need to consolidate their segment of the industry in order to get critical mass or they need to reinvent themselves. All of that is creating very significant opportunities which plays really well to our strengths. So the current development of this crisis for us is actually quite beneficial. Having said that, this is only true as long as you know the world doesn't enter into a global significant long-term recession, which is not our base case. But obviously, if that were the case, it would be more difficult for everyone, including for us. I suppose your answer links to how it's mentioned in the ICG annual report that ICG has a resilient business module. So could you elaborate on that for our listeners? Our job is to invest in companies across the world. We can actually compare. And there are very, very few situations where you have a business like ours, but our peers are in the same position in the alternative asset industry, where because you're operating, you're investing for the long term, you are managing long-term funds. So it's locked in capital for 10 years or more. In our industry, there's no concept of redemption. You know, the money doesn't come out. You know, People invest, they're committed for the very long term. That's key because that enables us to invest over the long term and to think through crisis. What that does as well is it means it's securing management fees for us for the very long term. So faced with any sort of crisis, the one we're experiencing now or something that's more of a financial crisis like in, in 2009, our fee base doesn't erode, which is extremely powerful. Now, there are very few businesses that benefit from that level of stability. So that's what I mean by a resilient business model. Because it's so long-term, because you have locked-in fees over years, that's giving you very significant visibility. And also, you do not get swings when you're going through an economic cycle. The annual report also emphasizes the importance of having a diverse portfolio, perhaps that contributes to the resilience. So could you share how you intend on diversifying ICG's portfolio in the short to medium term? You're absolutely right. Portfolio construction diversification plays a big part in 
mitigating risk, and that's part of being resilient. What we apply to at portfolio level to every fund also applies to ICG as a whole. So we have been diversifying business for a number of years now because that's a way of managing risk, but also because I'm convinced that our industry will continue to consolidate and quite possibly an accelerated pace post-COVID. Our market, so that's the alternative asset market, is growing, I think structurally for the foreseeable future, and large managers disproportionately benefit from this growth. So we have to, and we will continue to grow and diversify. That means for us is both grow existing strategies when the opportunity set is there, and we have done that, but as well as launch new strategies if we find interesting investment opportunity, and if there is obviously demand from investors. So you know there are a number of examples. Uh, we've recently launched an infrastructure equity fund that is that has a strong focus on renewable energies. We've launched a European Ceylon leaseback fund. We've gone public saying we've hired a team to set up a North American mid-market private equity product. We've also brought in people to launch a secondary equity product. So keep thinking all the time about new funds, new products that we can bring in and add to the suite of investment products we offer our clients. Could you explain to our listeners what perhaps makes a difference between a good and a great intern from your point of view? When you think about it, the success of any firm hinges on having a broad spectrum and diversity of talent. You don't necessarily need the same qualities for an IT role, a role in fund administration or in debt investment, or just mentioned it, you know, an infrastructure equity investment role. Actually, even within an investment team, it's quite healthy to have very different personalities, cultures, and backgrounds. So we're quite mindful to bring all that together. As a result, there's not really any such thing as, you know, the list of, you know, ideal personality traits. Perhaps what I could say is first thing you pay attention to or, or notice in a new recruit is the sheer, you know, enthusiasm, the willingness to roll, to, 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 to work, you know, roll up their sleeves, being ambitious. But, you know, very quickly, personally, I tend to look beyond that for an appetite to think differently to question established practices, particularly on the investment side, to, you know, being innovative. I mean, we're quite entrepreneurial here. So I'm I'm looking for that in people that can really set individuals apart. And over the longer term, so I think I'm going beyond your question, you know, successful careers are not built overnight. They're built over time, particularly in our industry, very long term. And there, my experience is that, you know, people who are more agile, who are open to change and, you know, happy to explore different types of opportunities tend to do better. And finally, do you have any last bits of parting advice? Don't overthink it, I think would be my advice. You know, you'll succeed if you find you know, satisfaction and then some sense of purpose in, in your work. So trust your gut. Take the opportunities that come your way to develop skills and knowledge. You're young. You're, you're graduating from a great school. I have a daughter who just graduated from that school. So go out and take some risk. Now's the time. Be open to doing things different to question, to to challenge established practices. You'll have more fun that way and you're more likely to succeed as a result. Many thanks for taking the time out to talk on Focal Point. And it was a pleasure talking to you, Benoit. Likewise, thank you very much for having me.